through this alchemy of different factors, we came together as a family. And I mean, when I say everybody, from the public health officer to the worksafe regulator into the construction sector as a whole became one. There is no competition anymore. It's just solidarity as one. We ended up with this effect in BC, which we can be immensely proud of. The next crisis that comes up, I think that there's a, a foundation of trust and a foundation of relationship that was forged during COVID that will make those conversations and those decisions easier and more fluid. Hello and welcome to Inside Construction, a podcast from the British Columbia Construction Association. I'm your host, Chris Atchison, President of the BCCA. We're bringing you this podcast series as part of our advocacy work seeking to highlight the key issues affecting employers in BC's construction industry. We'll meet industry insiders, stakeholders, and professionals who are committed to the construction sector and the topics that need our attention. With their help, we'll shed some light on what's working and what isn't, and how private and public sector stakeholders can come together to ensure BC's industry has what it needs to get the job done on time, on budget, and with the world-class outcomes we all expect. Across Canada and the USA, many jurisdictions shut down their construction industries as part of efforts to stop the spread of COVID-19. British Columbia did not. Designated as an essential industry, we kept working safely, often under conditions of extreme stress, under pressure to adapt daily, sometimes hourly, to the dynamic changes in the spread of the virus, as well as the unrelenting updates to provincial health orders and resulting safety protocols. As a key part of our industry's efforts to keep our workforce safe, an expert and industry-led committee, including over a dozen stakeholder organizations, came together. Spearheaded by BC Construction Association and including BC's two major safety associations, the Council of Construction Associations, or COCA, and the BC Construction Safety Alliance, or BCCSA. That group provided a crucial mechanism for the industry. It led the way to quickly identify problems, communicate best practices, and work with government to ensure industry needs were understood. And the BCCA website quickly became the main go-to resource to help the industry navigate all the complicated issues. And our group of experts helped to provide timely and informative answers to questions coming in from contractors. Today, we'll be looking at some of the success stories and silver linings that came out of the pandemic, the challenges, the lessons learned, and what we would have done better had we known what we know now. In addition, we'll share thoughts on how COVID-19 has shaped the future of BC's construction industry for the better. To help me do that, I am joined by two of my esteemed colleagues, Dr. David Bispali, President and CEO of the Council of Construction Associations, and Mike McKenna, Executive Director at the BC Construction Safety Alliance. They are two of the many leaders who shouldered, along with BCCA, in our commitment to work through the challenges of the pandemic. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. So, Dave, I'd, I'd like to ask you to take us back and tell our podcast listener about the way in which the industry banded together in the early days of the pandemic to give our sector the best chance to navigate during those uncertain times. I mean, those were interesting times and a remarkable response. 
you know, just like any other person that experienced the early stages of the pandemic, there was fear, there was confusion, and there was an overwhelming need to act. We came together, I think, uh, organically uh, in different ways to try to say, how can we, as good Canadians, uh, respond to this crisis and support our members within construction? And what I really liked about those early times is that it was selfless. Everybody came, uh, basically, how can I help? What can I do? And what kind of remarkable things can we do together? The essential service designation is probably one of the most uh, marquee moments of the early days. We fought really hard behind the scenes with government to make them understand that as the economy is moving forward, uh, it is going to be critical that the number one driver construction is actually set up in such a way that it can carry on the work. And in those days, other jurisdictions were closing their doors. The other things that we did is we started to really adapt to a hybrid and virtual wor uh, workspace where we were connecting on almost a daily basis as a uh, emergency think tank to try to determine what we can do and how we could uh, set things up differently. Uh, that brought solidarity to the uh, the cause. It brought everybody together in a feeling of we're in, we're in this as a team. Old political fault lines disappeared and eroded overnight. People decided what can we do to help in every respect they could. And, you know, it has a really neat lasting effect, Chris. As we look back on it, we're, we're looking at a situation where team spirit, that ability to work together to get something done that's above all of us, is now uh, stronger than it ever has been before. And that legacy uh, is probably one of the most uh, remarkable aspects of the pandemic when we look back at it. Thanks, Dave. And Mike, I'd appreciate your perspectives of those early days as well. You know, remembering fondly that early on, yourself and the team at the BC Construction Safety Alliance coined an important and memorable phrase called comply or goodbye. Maybe just tell us what was happening within the walls of the Safety Alliance and the efforts of your team and this leading statement that guided us all through some of those crucial months. Absolutely, Chris. So um, first of all, I want to give credit to who coined that phrase, and that was Kevin Miro of um, Miro Contracting. And he, um, we were having a conversation about you know, how to respond to what was very much, a, uh, very much a crisis for us in the moment. And he said, listen, what we're doing is we're just saying, look, if you don't adhere to the public health orders that have been publicly announced, um, particularly in an industry that, that is forward-facing, and what I mean by that is that construction is unique in the sense that you're open to the eyes of the public almost all the time, um, where you, if you worked in a sort of manufacturing sector, for example, there's four walls around you all the time. And so at a time when there was heightened awareness and heightened concern around infection um, related to COVID, this notion of, uh, you know, we, we need to behave ourselves as an industry. And Kevin said at the time, what he told his workers, he said, look, if either comply with the PHO's orders or we say goodbye. So that comply or goodbye was something that really stuck with us. And I think it was a really good kind of mantra, if you will. Uh, for all of industry. And within the four walls of the BCCSA, um, again, to coin a phrase that our good friend Dave uh, Baspali actually put together, we, we played this role of a curator and a creator. And, um, you know, this industry is, is uh, interesting from the perspective that that saying, plan to fail or fail to plan, is something that's uh, taken close to heart. Uh, you know, I think construction's uh, projects make money or lose money based on a company's ability to anticipate risk and to respond to risk. 
And so there were a lot of um, systems, processes, pre-pandemic plans, post-pandemic plans that had already been developed within the industry. And to Dave's point earlier, there was this selflessness um, and everyone understood they were in the same boat together if they wanted to, one, stay healthy, most importantly, and two, remain financially viable. Uh, they needed to respond as an industry really quickly. So we became this clearinghouse for plans that had already been created by some of the larger uh, companies. Um, and they selflessly gave those plans to us. And we were able to update them with our occupational you know, hygienist who uh, you know, works with us on, a, on a, a full-time basis. And where there were holes, she and the, and the uh, BCCSA team were able to create things like, for example, when you're going up a man lift, and typically you can get 12 people in it. Well, during COVID restrictions, that was all out the door because you had to have two meters between you. So how do you still remain productive? Because you can't have people work, walking up 25 floors to get to work in the morning, right? You have to, uh, you've got to get people up efficiently, particularly carrying tools and, you know, you know equipment. So th that, those are the holes that I think we were able to fill with the creation component of it. But this notion of a clearinghouse where we were able to curate what already existed and create what didn't, um, I, I think was a testament to how this industry is able to respond and able to collaborate and move forward as a unit, as opposed to just being competitors. You know, both of you have said, uh, you know, as we were at the opening, how the industry collaborated and leaned in and really led with safety. And I really think it was evident to all of us involved that the safety of every worker of every job site was paramount. But below that, there was this urgency to keep the industry going, to keep the industry moving forward. So what was at stake if we weren't able to find a way to do this safely? Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, let, let me take you back to that time in the early stages, uh, Chris. When we didn't know what was going to happen, but everybody was told to go home and stay home, there was a real fear that it would, you know, the, the economy would be crushed and we'd be in a real state of um, a bad day if we didn't actually keep things moving. So construction felt like an, an overwhelming burden to try to do more than just um, send out bullets and stuff. We needed to actually make sure there was a vital industry moving forward. So a lot of work with politicians in the early day to give them the value proposition of why the economy should stay open and why our sector would contribute uh, disproportionately to recovery. A lot of um, uh, work done with individual companies to, to remind them that they can actually operate safely if certain things are put in place. And then all the other peripheral interfacing stakeholders, you know, including the supply chain and others, to make sure that goods moved, trucks were getting the supplies to sites, people were doing it safe, things like testing and everything else that could be, you know, come through that period was all available when it needed to be available. So we were safe. And I think our metrics uh, stand for themselves. We're looking at a situation when we look back on it, our industry had a disproportionately low amount of uh, people that were actually sick through the period because of the heightened awareness, the good coordination, and the, the enhanced safety pieces that we put in place for that whole period. Collaboration was key, and collaboration, I would argue, is our secret sauce. And how about from your perspective, Mike? What was at stake if we didn't get this right? There was, you know, a lot, of, a lot at stake, frankly. I, I think that um, it was incumbent upon industry to demonstrate that they were able to work safely. And again, hearkening back to what I said earlier, the world was watching, right? So I, I think that was a prime motivator. But I do want to emphasize over and above that, I think there was this kind of 
Churchillian moment and, and not to be too hyperbolic about it, but, you know, during the second world war, it was important that, um, you know, keep calm and carry on. It's kind of the saying, right. And you're getting bombed every night. But, um, I think that <laughs> again, I think we kept calm and constructed on. And I think that there was a, there was a, a real necessity from a societal perspective to let the world know that, you know, there's still some normalcy happening here. Things are still being built. The world will go on at a time when it was very dark. Like it, it, it's funny because it seems like two years ago was, you know, a long time ago and that, but the impact and the, the disruption to everyday life, I think was, was really notable to the average citizen. And I think for them to be able to go out and see, oh, that's still happening. That building is still happening. Uh, that construct, you know, that, that there's some normalcy that was restored or uh, was a reminder to people that this too shall end. So I think that was what was at stake largely. But I guess, you know, over and above that, again, I think that the notion that it was really important for us as an industry to just continue on and to show the world how importantly we take health and safety. And I think it was a great opportunity for us to show that off. And if we remember back to those early days of the pandemic, there were also regular updates and changes coming from the Provincial Health Office and WorkSafe BC. So Mike, from your perspective, what challenges came up when industry was trying to adapt to these, sometimes daily amendments that were kind of like do or die? I think the biggest challenge was that uh, you can't get mired down in the quicksand of of policy creation. Uh, That's not being critical. That's just a reflection of reality. And I think that that the regulator and the provincial government did a phenomenal job, by the way, of of, um, kind of getting their house in order and putting together processes, policies, etc., uh, that said, the biggest challenge for I think for us was getting stuff out in a timely manner, and and I think that you know with BCCA, COCA, BCCSA, we're not the regulator, but we're keenly aware that there's a, a provincial government that that uh, is trying its hardest to improve safety outcomes during a pandemic. I think WorkSafeBC was under a lot of pressure to do the same thing. But where we could, as a tripartite group, if you will, uh, we can get stuff out a little a little too early. <laughs> and that means it's not completely polished. It's not perfect. But you got to get it out so people can continue to move on. And you can course correct as you move forward. But I think that collectively, we did a really good job of, of getting the best information we had in the moment and getting it out there. And I, I think that... Um, that's difficult for organizations that are under great scrutiny, like the provincial government and WorkSafeBC, to get everything right, right off the hop. We kind of had a little bit of leeway, which was really helpful in terms of improving safety outcomes in regards to uh, COVID. And over to you, Dave. How and why were we successful given our approach? And could we have responded quicker? I mean, it was about communication at all levels, daily, if not hourly in some cases, education where it could be dropped in and it wasn't unvarnished at some time some just what we knew in that moment to get out and then execution getting it out into the field so people could use it move on and and it was um subject to revisions at times but what people appreciated was the immediacy of it um i think if i was to say 
the, the, the real neat value that we had was we had an express line right into WorkSafe to be working with them to determine what our industry needed. And therefore, the communications that they were preparing in the, uh, the resources, and that goes for the BC Construction Safety Alliance, too, they were ahead of the curve on this, were putting together things that were really practical and needed now. And that's sort of an emergency footing, and that's uh, that goes back to meeting the moment when you when you want to actually address what has to happen on the ground. And members responded well to that. And over a short period of time, we became an essential conduit for that information. They didn't look around to 17 places. They knew exactly where to come and get that. We did town halls on a regular basis, but we coordinated. So we weren't competing with each other for the airspace. We, we took specialization within this, this area. Mike was the you know, the curator of resources, his team made sure that anything construction had that was could be and, and would be a value was available. Um, we took sort of the political side of things where we were coordinating different regulatory approaches. Um, we were beta testing some of the stuff that was going to come down that WorkSafe wanted to know how it would affect us. Public health would want to know how it would affect our members and just making sure that, you know, we really thought it through as fast as we could do that so that we weren't putting things that were going to be obstacles in our members' way. Those kinds of things build trust, transparency, and also reduce the fear. And when an industry feels confident, they can overperform. And you can see the byproduct of that today when we look at where our industry is. It's just never stopped because the industry was gearing up through the whole pandemic. And now, quite frankly, with the floods and everything else that we've had, we had one remarkable period of time here. They're just responding to everything that happens. The economy is strong because of it. And, and quite frankly, the partnerships endure from government to WorkSafe to the industry we want to find the right answer. We don't want to be at odds with one another and, and, and just go to respective roles. We are still a team. And I'm proud of that because I think we all contributed to making that environment happen. And, and I know there probably would be a question in this podcast, folks, what have we learned from all this? And I can tell you, this is the root of all that stuff that we learned is that we are better together. Well said. Mike, back over to you. There were some challenges, whether it was supply chain issues or whether it was some lack of equipment or lack of availability of even some things that seem so simple now, like hand sanitizers on job sites. But from your perspective, what were some of the major challenges that really could have threatened our ability to work safe? I think, I mean, you've highlighted a big one, Chris, the whole supply chain thing. And I remember like hand sanitizer was like gold. Masks were like, you know, what, can you get an N95? Is it okay if it's a K94? You know, we all became very educated very quickly on things that none of us knew a thing about. And so I, I think the biggest risk to us, Chris, if, if that was the question, was this notion that, um, again, to just to underscore it, we were constantly under scrutiny. I mean, you, you know, you can imagine if you are in a sector that was shut down, and you're feeling the pinch and you're walking around and you're seeing construction sites still being productive, that it was really incumbent upon us as an industry to ensure that we were doing everything possible, not from an optics perspective, but to ensure that we were protecting the public as well as each other on site. And I think that uh, as an industry, um, this notion of comply or goodbye it took hold really quickly. Um, and I think it was really important that it did because, uh, look, and in a way, we were kind of blessed as an industry to keep going, particularly if you look at the jurisdictions around BC and how many of those were not able to achieve it. We didn't see a huge spike in COVID cases. Um, this is an industry that every day they show up on site 
and they're presented with problems and they've got to solve those problems so they can keep working. And they show up the next day and they got a new set of problems. Very adaptive, uh, very creative, very entrepreneurial. And I think that that shone through at the end of the day and ensuring that the public felt that um, they were also being protected, given the fact, even so, that we were still being deemed an essential service. And Dave, from your perspective, how important was the fact that the construction industry was already well-versed with the notion of PPE? And that the pivoting and the adaptations that were required, well, we were already well set up and familiar with the ability to do so. Well, that's a good question, Chris. I mean, we look back over the last 20 years, construction is predicated on safety. I mean, we don't do work. You don't stay in business unless you do it safely. And, um, and, and increasingly, that's just become not only the norm, but the expectation that everybody expects is that we're going to do it as safe as we possibly can. Our industry statistics bear that out. And of course, when COVID hit, we already had safety officers in place. We already had safety culture in place. We had a number of, uh, of the ownership group uh, throughout the system that wanted to be gold standard and wanted to. And there's also you know, a natural competition among companies within our sector to try to be the best. So this became one of those areas where we wanted to overperform, and you could see it in people. Um, I give you an example of uh, you know sharing best practices. These are something that companies would keep close to their chest in the in the old days. This is how we do it, and and you can do it your way, but this is our secret methodology for how we do it. All of a sudden, we're saying, hey, we need to make sure those small companies, because we are made up of medium and small companies all have the same chance that we do, the large primes, to be able to make sure everybody has everything they need to be safe and everybody go home safe. So off we go. Here goes the policies out to Mike, and Mike would then recirculate that out to everybody and curate that and make sure these templates were available for people to be as safe as they possibly could and get home safe. And I mean, you just saw this. I mean, it, it sounds a little bit romantic looking back at it almost, but it was uh, uh, not the same in every jurisdiction. In BC, um, through this alchemy of different factors, we came together as a family. And I mean, when I say everybody, from the public health officer to, to the WorkSafe regulator into the construction sector as a whole became one. And when that happened, that was that moment, I think, uh, Mike, that you spoke about. It's one of those sort of you're proud to be a part of because everybody's trying to get to the same place. There is no um, competition anymore. It's just solidarity as one to try to do the right answer. And then when you start to see what that means to the statistics, meaning that people weren't getting sick, and if they were, everybody was there to support them, and everybody tried to find the right answer and work to the spirit beyond what the standards were set, we ended up with this effect in BC, which we can be immensely proud of. And that's the, the, the secret here, is that everybody banded together, pulled together, and pushed it through the other side. And that's why... As we sit back, you know, sometimes we understand the effects that took place to get us there. And there was this, the other, the other things that we don't understand. And I guess we'll be processing for years is what was it that was unique about BC that really was the electricity that did that? Because talking to Washington state and Alberta, not quite the same effect. So we did something special here. And I, I think that's what will be remembered when we look back over the pandemic, that it was our moment and, and, and BC really raised the occasion. Now, starting with you, Mike. I want to pick up on that thread just from our limited knowledge of what did happen in other jurisdictions. Maybe you can touch on what you know about what happened in some of those other jurisdictions and why maybe their experience was different than ours. Well, I, I've mentioned it before. I mean, there, there were other jurisdictions that construction was not deemed essential. 
In fact, more than more than not. I think what's unique about British Columbia is a lot of what you're doing right now, Chris, and that is there's a, a unification that happens, and this podcast is an example of that, that you've got two organizations in COCA and BCCSA that have strong connections with BCCA and others that I think that's a unique environment. Um, in fact, we, we've collectively, the three of us, spoken with jurisdictions outside of British Columbia, and they're fascinated by that because in a hyper-competitive industry, <laughs> you know, where people are losing bids on a point, um, the notion that safety is not a competitive advantage is well understood within British Columbia. And I think that that was the distinguishing secret sauce feature is that when things got rough, industry coalesced around what was the right thing to do. And rather than be individualistic about the approach, uh, there was more a collect, there was more of a collective response. I'm not saying everybody's singing Kumbaya for the rest of eternity, but I think that as a, an industry, um, that was very unique in British Columbia because of the existence of, of organizations that are supported by, by BCCA and COCA and BCCSA, we represent all of construction, right? Uh, you know, and I think that, that those conduits, those communication pathways allowed us to bring people together really quickly. And that is unique. And I don't know that people fully understand how unique that is. Because when you go outside of the province, oftentimes there's two safety associations. There's a heavy construction association. There's a regular regular construction, air quotes for those that can't see me. But um, in BC, we've kind of figured it out, right? We just got to do this together. There's some things we're always going to compete on. We're always going to want to get the best job. We're always going to want to be perceived as the best builders ever. Um, but when it comes to safety, uh, you know what, we're not going to argue about that. You know, we're, we're going to come together because united as a group, we're much more impactful than we are from an individual standpoint. Dave, if you could just offer your perspective on that as well, because I know you're familiar with some other jurisdictions too. I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is that nobody tried to take center stage. I mean, it just occurred to me right now that we all, everybody had their head down and did the work that needed to be done. And then loop the people that were essential into getting the messaging. And there was no showboating. There was no, our organization does it best, so come to us and some other organization trying to pull in a different direction. It was just sort of a self-selection or a reorganization of everybody took point on a particular piece that needed to be done. And we all worked in harmony to do that. And, you know, when I look at the different jurisdictions out there, that did not happen in other jurisdictions. In some cases, um, there were a lot of organizations that were flat-footed. They didn't even know what to do to respond to the pandemic. We took our lead from the ground conditions. And that's that's why it was, it was, it was not um, a moment where we had to sit around and wait for being told what to do by the regulator or the government. We knew the industry itself knew what it needed to do to stay uh, viable. And again, we reap the, the benefits of that. We have a tremendously strong economy today because of the work that was done through that period. All the members, again, should be congratulated for their contribution to it. And I guess we're the envy of a number of other jurisdictions during this period. Um, we also were lucky to have a, 
uh, in Bonnie Henry, our, uh, our chief medical officer, it, the opportunity to have somebody with strong leadership. I mean, she really did, you know, love her, hate her, love all the little nuances. She still was a tremendous leader during this period. We also had, uh, uh, in our WorkSafe BC, um, regulatory, uh, agency, we, we had an organization that was willing to listen first, as opposed to just dictating terms. And I can remember being in meetings in, in, in the war room a few times with, with this, this group them asking us what would work in the field. I mean, if you can imagine that in other jurisdictions, that doesn't happen. But them saying, would this work? Can we do this? Can we keep you guys open if we did this and this? And then we would uh, dialogue with some of our members. And that would happen in, in the same, in, in a number of hours, not even days. We would turn it around and have answers for them, all these things. So, so Chris, I, I just think, you know, looking back on it, we can be immensely proud of what we contributed and, uh, and how the members reacted and how everybody played together. So I think that was why we're unique over other jurisdictions. So what's changed going forward for the industry? What lessons have we learned? What are some of the key takeaways? How have we come out better as a result of it? How have our work sites changed? And how have our attitudes changed? Maybe I'll start with you, Dave. Well, lots has changed, Chris. I mean, that's the thing is it's, it's, if you look backwards before 2018, we don't even look the same. On the challenging side of the ledger, people are exhausted. There are mental health issues throughout our whole sector because I think the lockdowns and the prolonged period of, of, um, of just being through that once in a lifetime crisis has an impact on people. And we see labor shortages and we see the echoes of other sectors that are important to interface with construction that need to be sheared up and supported, meaning things like the supply chain, um, the global supply chain, particularly, and then labor, the labor market now attracting talent to fill the need that's there. So that's the, the challenging side that we've come out on the plus side. I mean, let's take a look at some of the assets we picked up through the COVID crisis. We picked up hybrid working environment. So, you know, in the old days, we used to all drive around the city to try to get across to meetings and be part of things. And today we're far lighter, far faster, far more responsive. But we don't haven't forgotten the importance of face to face meetings and events and things like that. And as they all come back on stream, you can see how important they are to our industry. This, the fellowship the industry has, uh, even while amongst competitors to arrive at events and golf tournaments and things like that, because they really do create that sense of uh, one family. And I think that that all matters. Uh, things like um, uh, enforcement. In the past, WorkSafeBC used to come out to work sites and it, like a hammer to a nail would try to find what's wrong and, and hit that nail. Uh, today, uh, and we're encouraging them to keep that going, is show up, educate, help people get to the right answer. We don't want anyone to have to be hiding something. We don't want anybody to be uh, getting it wrong. We want people to all get it right. So uh, the regulator encouraging people to do that and then enhancing that with resources and different ways to do that online, in person, and uh, virtually through town halls and stuff like that has been a huge asset to really socialize an industry top to bottom, right to left. And so those are some of the things I would say uh, we learned. And then hygiene became important again. For the, it's probably been a long time since we looked at everything from our washrooms to our sinks to everything else that we that we uh, we take for granted within a construction site that seemed to be personal and it became communal when we all had to consider what the implications were that on site. That will have an effect on things like the cold, wet weather and the cold and flu season that will have uh, in future strains of COVID coming through. Just that hyper vigilance on being, um, you know, have that heightened hygiene, and then I would say 
Um, lastly, uh, sort of a non-tangible thing that I think will have a lasting effect is the power of our institutions within construction. I mean, you don't really understand the value until something's placed under load as to what it actually does and how it can be helpful. And I think our members really learn through this thing, uh, what we respectively do, how we work together, what assets we bring to the table, and how we can really move the needle on things like safety, regulatory reform, and quite frankly, political advocacy. Because we really did, through that whole period of time, we, we were where we needed to be doing what we needed to do. And that translates into a healthy sector, that translates into a bright future, and I hope that, regardless of what we face next, we really got a template to show the world how to do it right. Great stuff. Mike, over to you. What lessons have we learned? What silver linings have we come across? Or even what might we do different going forward? I think it's a great question, Chris. And, you know, life at, at the end of the day is about relationship and trust. And once you gain those two things with an individual or an entity, it just makes um, future interactions that much simpler and that much smoother. And I think that through this experience, the lasting effect is it's kind of like that wartime notion of being in a foxhole with somebody. And I think that our regulator and our provincial government were in the foxhole with us. And the notion that we were able to collaboratively um, chart a pathway forward uh, is will not be lost over time. I think that was a something that was important for everyone to understand that when the chips were on the table, and let's face it, they were, um, that, uh, you know, we collaboratively worked with our partners um, to get stuff done. I think there will be a lasting repercussion of that moving forward. We know that the industry created a lot. It developed a lot. And it was the front runner for a lot of new policies and expectations. How do we now balance that going forward as we've got this collaborative working relationship with government and its regulators that it doesn't turn into an expectation that the industry is just going to conform to what's ever expected. You know, when it doesn't make sense for the industry, like so many things did make sense during the pandemic. So how do we make sure that we are now prepared to balance or push back on behalf of the industry when new regulations might not make as much sense going forward? Yeah, Chris, that's a very interesting question because it, it raises a couple of things. I think that I've watched over the last so many months an industry that really is desperate to move on and get back to some normalcy. So, and that has its implications because, um, you know, getting back to foundations and and, um, and fundamentals, I think, is probably what we're seeing. Um, and as as an institution within construction, what our job is is to sort of appreciate that because I really do see our members needing a bit of a rest through this period. I don't know what the fall will hold. Public health is still talking about this fall coming up as being a uh, potential resurgence of that. And now we now there's, there's no more lockdowns and stuff. I think there's no appetite in government to do that anymore unless there's extreme extreme situation takes place. But it does behoove us to really to remind people coming in this period about things like getting um, an update in your booster vaccination, that kind of thing, making sure practices are reset and re underscored, but at a lighter touch. It's important for us to work with our regulatory community and, and government to remind them about the partnership that we're still one and that we want to move through this. We'd hate to lose that and go back to our respective corners and then play the game like it used to be played. We, what we want to do is get, you know, uh, a more efficient way to the right answer. 
Um, and then for our colleagues within industry, the one thing that we held together and I think really well is this notion of coming together to coordinate, to talk about what we're respectively doing and to try to take point on issues or work collaboratively where necessary. Uh, Club 345 is something that was started in the middle of this thing and it's endured to this day, not the same frequency, but it allows us to come together and talk about where we want to do and how we do it. Those kinds of things didn't exist. And those are legacy investments I think we want to make sure we maintain. And then there's also, I think we want to get back to basics around listening to our membership again, because the challenges have changed. It's not as easy to spot the, you know, the three or four people that were sick on a construction site and swap that out for the, the 20 or 30 that may have mental health issues or maybe dealing with substance abuse or these kinds of things that are all in effect a byproduct of a once in a lifetime crisis that people as, as people have gone through that have not necessarily all come out evenly. And our workforce is made up of a very complex and, um, and challenging demographic. And what we need to do is make sure that that group is supported in their new needs and that the resources are there to make sure that we're supporting them top to bottom, right to left. And I said earlier, small, medium-sized companies are going to need support around the changing regulations and rules, the intelligence of what's taking place on a daily basis and what needs to be circulated as fair and, and equitably as possible. So we've got a lot of work to do. And then as a final thought, I would say we all need time to recover because I think as an industry, as the institutions that serve the industry, as members within the industry, we haven't taken a moment to process what that did to us individually. And it has affected us in some way. It may be profound, it may not be, but it's still affected us in one way or another. And, you know, some time to process that and to get through the other side, I think will make our industry healthier and ready for other challenges as they come around. So that's what I think really uh, what I'll be watching over the next little while. Thanks, Dave. Now, something you said made me think of a great question to ask Mike about the way our industry was so macho in its attitude about coming to work even when you were sick. And now it seems like such a faraway occurrence where there was even the, the case. I remember going to work sites early on in the pandemic where people overnight were just being encouraged to stay home. So in your experience, Mike, is that something that has been a remarkable transformation for this industry? I would say yes, 100%. This whole notion of mental health, I think, it is something that we're going to be tackling. But the the idea that uh, if you got the sniffles, just stay home was, uh, you're right, Chris, it was that time where man up and come to work and everything's going to be good. I think folks are seeing that there's a, a negative uh, mental health aspect to that uh, uh, viewpoint, as well as, a, as well as a physical health perspective. If you lose lose half your 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 work site because uh, or or your workforce because one person was sick, and uh, that's certainly not going to uh, translate sort of moving moving forward. But but I think that as well, uh, you know, Dave touched on this as well, this notion of mental health. Uh, I think uh, is going to be something that is part of the transformation post COVID. Um, there's a competition for workers out there, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know where people went, frankly, because um, you see the decrease across the board, a 30% reduction in, in workers generally. I find that fascinating because I still don't understand because people have to pay rent and they've got payments and they've got life to live and groceries to buy. But um, I think that we need to embrace this as a as an industry that if we don't become kinder and gentler, like the notion of I yell because I love you um, from a supervisor perspective is, is something of the past. 
we're going to be less productive because we just don't have people on the tools. People are feeling tired and they're feeling that um, there's a lot more grumpiness around that I've ever seen before. But I think that uh, we need to take that seriously because other people are going to scoop those workers up. And if we don't, as an industry, take that side of things more seriously, I think we do it at our peril, Chris. Thank you both for that. You know, I think it's clear that we're all really proud of the work that we were able to do in those early days of the pandemic. And it's been great to see how that work has made some positive changes for the workforce. But I'm also aware that the public and the public sector might dismiss our importance after we're through this period, that they might forget how essential and capable we are. So my last question is, what can we extract and carry forward from this that will help to ensure that this foundation holds fast? Mike? I think what we can carry forward is this notion that we are an industry that cares, right? Safety is a priority. Um, I'm a father of four. And so I think if one of them came to me and said, I think I want to be a tradesperson or get into the, get into the industry somehow, I'd feel much better about that now than I did two and a half years ago. Because I think that the industry has realized that uh, people are at strength and that um, uh, folks need to feel like they're being looked after, like they're being cared for. And so I think moving forward, that is something that we can learn. That's something that I, I think has changed. I think the idea that we want to attract workers, we want to show the world that we are an industry that cares about people, that shows leadership, just as you said, Chris. And and I think that we have a wonderful opportunity before us to grow the industry and to emphasize the positives that we did during COVID with a view to improve and strengthen our position moving forward. And for a final word, Dr. Dave Bispali. Well, I'll say a few things. I think, you know, if we can come through a pandemic like that, the way we came through it, then our best days are ahead. I mean, in all fairness, uh, when you just wander around any part of the city, anywhere across the province, uh, rural, remote, building, 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 you know, it's everything is happening. Roads are being fixed. Everything's being done. It's, it's remarkable to think of the contribution made by the sector to the society is large. That gives government the opportunity for social programs and things that need to happen to make society whole. So I guess my message would be as a final talk, this would be to the members themselves that are listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for stepping up and being part of something that's historical. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you for making it, being serious about uh, getting through this and honoring the moment of if we leave this sector open, Show us you can be safe and show us that you can keep the economy strong. And on both accounts, without exception, the sector itself made that happen and everybody should take that home. You may not understand it today, but in the futures, when people ask about the pandemic, you will. You will tell your grandkids that you were part of something that was special, that BC was special amongst all the other jurisdictions that are around us right now. And then from a COCA uh, perspective, just happy to be on this podcast, Chris. I think this has been a lot of fun for me. I just want to thank uh, yourself for organizing it. It is important we look back at, at these moments that are as big as they were and not just move through time. Uh, it's important to, uh, to celebrate the milestones, honor the, uh, the contributions, and, and then finally, uh, really make sure people are aware uh, that they were part of something remarkable. So thank you, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. 
A sincere thank you to Dr. David Spalli, President and CEO at the Council of Construction Associations, and Mike McKenna, Executive Director at the BC Construction Safety Alliance. COVID-19 is not over, but it has become manageable. We hope that this holds true during the coming weeks and months as we head into winter, and of course in the years ahead as well. But we also must fully accept that even if the worst of COVID-19 is behind us now, that there will be other challenges that call upon government in partnership with our massive construction industry to lead the way to resilience and recovery. Now, whether that challenge is a health emergency such as a virus or the continued escalation of catastrophic weather events such as wildfires and floods or a natural disaster such as a massive earthquake, we know two things. One, BC's construction industry will be called upon. And two, we will be ready. It is our vision that the provincial government in this relative time of calm work with the industry to establish protocols that will help us move even more quickly, assuredly, and effectively the next time we are called upon. There really isn't any time to waste. I'm Chris Acheson, President of the BC Construction Association, and this has been Inside Construction.